On this episode of Out of Bounds, Dylan James, we discuss the Titans' COVID-19 outbreak. We ask the question, is Father Time finally catching up to Tom Brady? We go across the NCAA to check out college football. We even look at the NBA Finals and the MLB, ALCS, and NLCS, while also dissecting the NHL draft and the NHL free agent period. Segments include JT's Football Recap of the Week, Winners and Losers, and Final Thoughts. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button, share us with your friends, and leave us a review. Also, check us out on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and also our social media handles at OOB Podcasts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, let's jump right into the show. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Dylan James. JT Taylor joining me remotely once again. We are still practicing social distancing here, so you don't have to worry about our health and safety here at Out of Bounds. We are doing everything to the T, as the CDC guideline says. So, JT, how are you socially distanced this afternoon, sir? It's been great, man. I had a great week. Uh, My birthday was early in the week, so... Had some fun with uh, a lot of my friends, but uh, a lot of sports news uh, that's been happening. Busy basketball, baseball, we got football, soccer going on. So I'm just happy, Dylan, that despite everything going on, at least we have sports to kind of keep us a little bit distracted on what's going on. Yeah, definitely a little bit distracted. Um, happy belated birthday to you, by the way. So we already discussed Thanks, that before man. the show, but that's awesome that you get to celebrate the show, celebrate your birthday with recording the podcast this week. That's that's a good thing. That's why we delayed it a week. You know, we wanted to celebrate your birthday on the show, so that's the reason why. Appreciate, appreciate, man. All right, well, Dylan, let's get to the news. Yes, let's get to the news. So in the NFL, let's start there first. The biggest story coming out of the NFL for the past two weeks has been our Tennessee Titans. However, it hasn't been the story we've wanted it to be. Tennessee was the first team to have a COVID-19 outbreak in the organization. It started with the linebacking coach Shane Bowen after he tested positive on September 26th. And from there, since then, we've had 23 players and personnel test positive for the coronavirus They have had two consecutive days as of today with zero positive tests, which has been a very, very good thing. They actually got into the practice facility today. They're actually getting in this afternoon, so that's fantastic news for the Titans organization as they are set to play the Buffalo Bills on Tuesday night football, the first Tuesday night football game since, I think it's been at least... Since 2010. That was the last one. About 10 years ago, so um, huge, huge time for the Titans. Hopefully they can go out on the field and win, but they are going to be missing a few of their players, a few big players too. We'll talk about that in just a second. But JT, this COVID-19 situation, we knew it was going to happen, but did we think it was going to happen to the Tennessee Titans this way? I certainly did not, Dylan. Uh, I just kind of find it crazy that of all teams, our team, the Tennessee Titans, would be involved in uh, this outbreak. But and it's been an unfortunate situation for the Titans, Dylan, because the Titans, we're 3-0. and We're on top of the AFC South division. We're off to a great start. And then this outbreak happens since the Titans' last game, which was a 31-30 victory over the Minnesota Vikings back on the 27th. And since then, Dylan, it's been 
crazy. You had the coach, as you mentioned, Shane Bowen test positive, and then a couple of days later, and a few other players, then a few other players, then a few other players, and then of course uh, earlier this week we had no positive tests. So a little bit of tights were going to go back on Wednesday. Then we got news. Oh nope, two more players test spot. Corey Davis test positive. You all can't go to practice. NFL says no. So I listened to the Mike Vrabel show on YouTube, and he was talking about we're doing everything we can to make sure the players safe, follow the protocols. We've been maintaining with the NFL that we're following the league protocols, and he's still confused why the NFL is sending investigators to check out if they broke any rules. But he understands. And he's trying to keep the team focused. Despite everything going on, despite doing practice via Zoom, which I'm still figuring out how you can do NFL practice via Zoom. But hey, if these coaches are doing it, hey, you got to do what you got to do to stay safe, right? And um, now the Titans are going to prepare for their game, as you mentioned, on Tuesday against the Buffalo Bills. And then after that, Dylan, our next game will be on Sunday the 18th against the Texans. So short day's rest. But hey, the Titans, we're well rested, so we should be okay. What do you think? Yeah, I think we should be okay too. I mean, especially with these these players who tested positive. So we have a list of 12 players out of the 23 players personnel. 12 of them were players. We had Daquan Jones, Bo Brinkley, and Tommy Hudson. They were the original ones who tested positive for the coronavirus. And all three of those players have hit their potential 12-day um, re- reenactment, I guess you could say. Not reenactment. Um, they are returned to play, I guess you could say. They are eligible to return to play at this point if they were asymptomatic. Uh, even if they weren't asymptomatic, they can still potentially come play after 12 days. But then we have some other players, too, that are big pieces of the Tennessee Titans organization that tested positive who are unsure to play on Tuesday, which are Kamala Correa, Christian Fulton, Adam Humphreys, Cameron Batson, Jeffrey Simmons, Kerry Blasengame, Corey Davis, Michael Pruitt, and Breon Borders. And they also said today during practice that Adoree Jackson is still a part of the IR, so he's not going to be available for this week's game. And we do have we had two other players too, including Isaiah Wilson, one of our draft picks from this year who was on the COVID-19 list. He has been taken off of the COVID-19 list. I'm not sure if he'll play this week or not. I would probably say he's not going to. But of those players who did test positive, if they were asymptomatic, NFL protocol states that they they have to have at least five days between the positive test and their return to play. If they are asymptomatic, they can come back after those five days. So I'm not sure who on this list has been asymptomatic. I know that um, Von, yeah, Von Miller from the Denver Broncos came out and said during his COVID-19 situation, it took him 17 days from the time he tested positive to get back onto the field. So I'm not sure who's in that boat. I'm not sure who is asymptomatic, who had symptoms. I'm not entirely sure. But if you're asymptomatic, you can get back on the field pretty quickly. But we just don't know what the condition is of all these players. There's another story coming out of this situation, though, that some of the players had actually practiced in a small group setting at a local high school. And this was actually broken um, by by a local reporter, I believe from WKRN. But then also Paul Kaharski broke it as well, saying this news story. He was making it, uh, he was putting it under the impression that the team was doing this despite the NFL 
telling them repeatedly not to meet in person and have group group workouts. But at that point, though, um, after that t- positive test from the players, they thought they were going to have a game against the Steelers on Sunday. So they were preparing for that Sunday game, and that's why they decided to go to the high school. Ryan Tannehill, it looks like, was the one who set up the whole practice at the local high school, went through the pres- the principal there to set that whole thing up. And so now they're talking about, well, was there a a verbal warning about this whole thing before this practice? Was it written? If it wasn't written, there was a, a memo that gets out the day after the practice happened. So there's a whole investigation going on. The league is trying to point fingers at the Tennessee Titans for doing things wrong in this situation. But in my mind, I think the whole thing that was going wrong was that Shane Bowen got tested positive for the coronavirus, and then the NFL allowed the team to get on a plane to go play in Minnesota the next day. I I, I don't understand the whole protocol concept of this whole thing, especially since Shane Bowen got the results. And then on Saturday, they tested the players. They didn't get those results back from the players until Monday morning. They didn't know who was positive until Monday morning. So at that point, you know, it sounds like the rapid testing is now in effect in the NFL. They're actually testing players and the results are coming back the next day. But still, in this situation, it sounds like if there was a positive test in a coach, they should have done something in that situation to where they would have limited travel to everyone involved with the team because of that one coach having such strong connections with the players, especially the linebackers coach. So the linebackers that are on the team should have been, I don't know, I I don't necessarily think they should have been quarantined, but they should have at least tested everybody before they got on that plane to go play against the Minnesota Vikings. But that's just my two cents on it. Um, what do you think, JT? Dylan, I tend to uh, agree only because it sounds like to me both parties are kind of trying to blame each other, but the Titans, you know, at least are cooperating. The NFL is like, oh, we screwed up. We let the Titans play the game when they should have played. And, they, you know, I'm like, the NFL, if you'd known, you could have at least postponed the game a couple of days. And try to get this worked out. But now it's like the NFL just put a band-aid and now they're trying to make up, say, oh, we got to send investigate. We got to make the Titans look bad. And we got Adam Shepard saying they're going to throw the book at the Titans and get dra- lose draft picks or suspensions or, you know, whatnot. And I just feel that, you know, of course, let the NFL do its investigation. But I don't feel it's fair that they should make an example of Titans come down hard just because – Look, they tried to adapt the situation. They tried to make it work. Yes, I understand that the team has the most uh, outbreak cases as of right now compared to the Jets or the Patriots. But on your point with the players that they didn't know or weren't sure about, I mean, one thing they could have done was they could have done what the Patriots did. They could have put them on separate planes. One with players that you know weren't uh, affected and then players that were in close contact and then they just don't play. And then the Titans just go play what they have to try to finish the game. And at least for the Vikings, okay, we played the game, but nobody on the Vikings got tested, or tested positive, I should say. They got tested, but didn't test uh, positive for COVID-19. So I'm not sure what the NFL is trying so hard to make example of the Titans when, I mean, yes, I understand it could have got worse, but it, you know, Titans are trying to make do with the situation, make it work. And, hey, we're still playing football. It's not like, 
we got to wait like three more weeks. Yeah. So that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're playing football. And also you have to look at the New England Patriots as well. They were another team that had some positive cases. Cam Newton came down with the virus. So he tested positive. He didn't play this past week. And then you had Stefan Gilmore as well. He tested positive too because he had dinner with Cam Newton, I think the night before or two nights before the game happened. Um, so good thing is, as of right now, there are no positive case, no more positive cases for the New England Patriots. But at the end of the day, the incubation period for this disease has been five to seven days, if not up to 14 days. So it's been a quite a while. I mean, we might see some players test positive in the next few days just because of the incubation period and we're actually getting to the the peak of the incubation period for this disease. So it's it's a hot mess that went on. Hopefully it's behind us now since we've had two days of no positive tests with the Tennessee Titans. Hopefully we can move on with the season and hopefully continue this undefeated streak that we're on right now with Ryan Tannehill at the helm. So let's talk about those Titans what are some areas of concern heading into the game against the Bills, especially concerning players that are going to be missing this game due to either injury or COVID-19 prognosis? Uh, the game's on Tuesday. Tuesday, for the, yes. For the Bills and Titans game. Well, Dylan, I think the team will be well-rested. I mean, the only concern I might have uh, for the Titans going into this game is that they they could be a little bit rusty because it's been basically it'll be basically over two weeks since the the last game we played. Uh, of course, who's going to be able to play in the game? It's going to be questionable, doubtful game time decision for the Titans that they'll have to look at. So I think the Titans are going to have to consider that being uh, very very shorthanded. You know, we could miss ten players as you mentioned, a few of them. Uh, Adore Jackson will be out. Of course, AJ Brown will probably be out. And we're probably going to, we had to look at players that might need to step up to replace Daquan Jones or Jeffrey uh, Simmons. And uh, we're going to miss, of course, Corey Davis. So lots of players that Titans are going to miss, Dylan. And they're going to have to next man up step up. The other area that I may be concerned is the defense. We know, Dylan, the Bills have a really, really good defense. And can our defense going to be able to slow Josh Allen down? That is uh, the question for the Tennessee Titans defense. Um, so that's just a, a couple areas that I have concern. One other thing I can think about is you know, the Titans' uh, passing game. With the, some of our receivers are missing, we'll have Derrick Henry at least, and that will help on the running game. But with so many, so many, some of our receivers out, who's Ryan Tannehill going to be able to pass the ball to? And can our running game get past bulldozing against that Bills defense, who does a really good job dealing against the run? But that's just some of my areas of concern that I think the Titans will have to address for the next couple of days. But what are your thoughts? My thoughts, I would have to say the defensive line. I think the defensive line is going to be a huge, a huge loss, especially not having Jeffrey Simmons there, potentially having Daquan Jones, but not entirely sure what's happening there. I think that Vic Beasley and Javion Clowney are going to have to step up in this game because they will have to put pressure on Josh Allen the entire game since Jeffrey Simmons is not there to do it himself because he's been doing it himself the past three weeks, the past three games anyway, that he played. Um, That's definitely a huge concern for me. Another huge concern would be the wide receivers as well. 
and cornerbacks too. I mean, I think the the, the DBs they're going to have some problems there as well because, like you said, Adoree Jackson's out. Um, Breon Borders is out too. Christian Fuller might not Fulton might not be able to play in this game either um, because of his diagnosis. So. I mean, it, it, it's definitely not good in those departments, especially at corner, because at corner, we were having difficulties anyway, especially with Fulton playing, even though Fulton didn't play that often. Um, he actually did have some good some good plays out there on the field, but they weren't utilizing him as much as I'd hoped he, they would. But, you know, with the, with the cornerbacks we have, we need to slow down the passing game of the Buffalo Bills and... The only way we can do that is getting pressure on Josh Allen. And so Clowney and Beasley have to step up, have to get to the quarterback. And if they do that, I think they'll have a really good a really good game on Tuesday. But wide receiver-wise, you know, missing Adam Humphreys and missing Corey Davis and Cameron Batson as well being a depth piece there, I think that's going to be huge. But A.J. Brown looks like he may play. He may, there were reports saying that he has that knee bruise still. It has been a while since he's been on the field after that knee bruise. So he may come out and play, just depending on how his knee feels. It may be a game-time decision. But as of right now, there's a potential that he could be on the field, and that would be huge for the Titans if he could play because not having Corey Davis, your other number one wide receiver, is a huge loss for that offense. So, But another big thing, though, when it comes to the Titans is that Tannehill has continued his strong play from last season. He might have dipped a little bit um, when it comes to his QBR and his quarterback rating as well. But Tannehill has 809 yards, six touchdowns, one interception, 67.3% completions, and a QB rating of 105.8. He has been incredible for the Titans so far. And that that's on top of... Derrick Henry beating the leading, being the leading rusher after three games in this in the season so far. That's just incredible to me. Yes, Dylan, that's just Tannehill stepping up and doing his thing, and he's proven why the Titans we gave him that money, that contract extension to to keep him over Mariota. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Titans play. On Tuesday, we gotta wait till Tuesday now. But Dylan, we do have some games tomorrow. But before we get into that, Dylan, who is your most surprising undefeated team so far? Oh man, I mean, even though this team isn't undefeated, I'm gonna say it anyway. The Chicago Bears are surprising me, and it's surprising because they're three and one. But in Week One, they played against the Lions. They were down at halftime. They were down going into the fourth quarter, I think by 17 points. And they came back and won against the Lions. Like, this team just keeps coming back. And they they decided to bench bench Mitchell Trubisky. And they put in um, Nick Foles now. So Nick Foles is the quarterback there in Chicago. And Nick Foles actually led them to uh, a a loss. But he played pretty well in the game the other night. Um, but that team has been really surprising to me. I, I don't know why they continue to be successful, but so far they've been playing really, really well. Um, on top of that, I was going to say the, the, the bears beat the bucks on Thursday night. Okay. Well then they, they lost one game. I think it was the yeah, game they, Mitch Trubisky got benched. Um, so it was week three. So Nick Foles tried to come in. Yeah. And they lost to the Colts. Gotcha. On, gotcha. 4th. Yeah. So 
but still, I mean, they're three and one. That, that that's incredible for the Chicago Bears, especially with the way we were looking at that team, especially offensively, thinking that they weren't going to do that well, especially with Mitchell Trubisky being under center. I think that was a big concern for that team. Signing Nick Foles to this huge contract, and then come to find out he was just going to be the backup in Chicago. That was a really weird prospect for them. So I'm glad they decided to put Foles in there to see what he can do. But I mean, speaking of the actual undefeated team so far, I would probably have to say the one I'm most shocked about, which I shouldn't be, is the Green Bay Packers. Because Aaron Rodgers, in that offense, we were talking about it all offseason, how he has no wide receivers. He has no wide receivers to throw to. It's it's depleted. Why didn't they go out there and get a playmaker for Aaron Rodgers in the in the draft? There's no reason for this, blah, 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 blah. But it comes to find out that the connection he has with his head coach, with Matt LaFleur, a former offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, it's a very strong connection. And the way he's calling games is highlighting the way that Aaron Rodgers plays. It's complimenting the way that Aaron Rodgers plays the game. And that's just, it's it's beautiful to watch. I, I, I love when Aaron Rodgers is actually successful in the league and when the team is successful in Green Bay because it makes the NFL that much more interesting, especially the NFC East, or NFC. Um, but I, I truly think that the Green Bay Packers being undefeated, that's probably the most shocking to me. But what, what about you, JT? I was just going to add, Dylan, with the Green Bay Packers, uh, especially Monday night, Dylan, uh, Monday night football, uh, in their game against the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Aaron Rodgers played that game without Devontae Adams and Al Lazard, his two top receivers. Uh, Robert Tanyan got the tight end, got three touchdowns in that game. And on top of that, the Packers, Dylan, they have averaged, while they've been undefeated these past four games, they've averaged over 30 points in all four games so far. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, Dylan, as you mentioned, he has 13 touchdowns and zero interceptions. So I find that very impressive with Aaron Rodgers so far. And the last time, Dylan, we saw something like this in the NFL was in uh, 2010. That was the year when the New England Patriots had a streak of seven, going seven games. They were 7-0, and and it averaged over 30 points in each game. So just something to add about the start with the Green Bay Packers. Very impressed with them. But I'm going to go with another NFC team, and that would be the Seattle Seahawks. And look, maybe I'm not surprised that, I mean, I know Seattle's a good team, but the fact that you got to compete with the Rams, the 49ers, I thought it was going to probably be the top team in this division, but of course, the 49ers had a bunch of injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo's been out. And of course, the Arizona Cardinals, they're still trying to get themselves all figured out. But Dylan, R- Russell Wilson, he's been on a tear for the Seattle Seahawks this season. Carrying him, breaking record. He's getting like four or five touchdowns, it seems, almost every every game. And the Seahawks, Dylan, as a team, they have in total 16 touchdowns, okay? And they've only had like two interceptions. And the team has done very well uh, defensively, not giving up a lot of uh on the passing yard games. And yes, they've had a few games that have been shootouts, like against the Patriots on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. And I'm just feeling like, man, Seahawks, I mean, the other team that's in that division, the Rams, are 3-1, and so they're right behind them. 
So we got to see how those two two teams play it out. But I've been very impressed with the Seattle Seahawks so far this season. And I think, Dylan, hey, the Legion of Boom may be done, but Seattle, they got a solid squad. And tomorrow, Dylan, will be a big game for them because they'll be playing Kirk Cousins and Minnesota Vikings on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, huge game for them. I think that's definitely going to be a game that the Minnesota Vikings have to win to remain. Not only that, DJ Metcalf, man. DK Metcalf, not DJ. DK Metcalf is on a tear for the Seahawks as well. Yeah, DK Metcalf is, is going off for that team. And, and he, he's he's definitely a great player, too. He's a great wide receiver. He has a really tight relationship with A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans. So definitely a great player there. But, yeah, I think the Minnesota Vikings will definitely have to win that game. It's a must-win for them at this point because they have looked – awful this season so far just not the way that we thought they would look with minnesota um but yeah they, they definitely need to win that game if they want to remain in the conversation for the playoffs going uh going the rest of the year so most surprising defeat like what most surprising winless team of the season i guess we both can say is the houston texans because the houston texans it's just a dumpster fire there and speaking of dumpster fires the organization decided to fire the main catalyst for that dumpster fire, which was Bill O'Brien. Yes, Bill O'Brien, the now former GM and coach, because he did both roles for the Houston Texans. Not that I'm surprised, Dylan, especially when you're 0-4. I really thought the Texans would have did this after they blew it against the, the, against the Chiefs in that game last year in the playoffs. And... We all heard throughout the offseason and going into the season how the players weren't getting along with Bill O'Brien, how it wasn't working out. And, you know, Bill O'Brien made some questionable decisions. Remember, he traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals. Why are you trading your top receiver to the Arizona Cardinals? And then you uh, have obviously poor clock management. That's been his record during his time. And making head-scratching uh, play-calling in the decision for Bill O'Brien. So the Texans still had to make this move to kind of save their season. And J.J. Watt, he alluded to it earlier this week. He was like, hey, we had a falling out. I had an argument. He exchanged with Bill O'Brien uh, before he got fired. And the Texans, they're kind of turning over a new leaf. Deshaun Watson saying, hey, look, we got to move forward and – they're ready to move on. So we'll see how it plays out, Dylan, in H-Town with the Houston Texans. But that's not the only surprise for me, Dylan, that they're off to a bad start, even though I'm a Titans fan. <laughs> but uh, what about the NFC East, or is that the call, the NFC Lease? I mean, you got the Eagles, Dylan, one, two, and one. You got the Washington football team, three straight losses. They now bench... Uh, uh, Hackins, and now they're going to put in um, uh, Kyle Allen as starting quarterback this weekend. The Dallas Cowboys, Dylan, through three games, okay, they've given up over 150 points. Oh, man. In three games. And, man, of course, oh, they've lost all these games. They're one in three. Where's the D in Dallas? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, right? No kidding. And, the New York Giants, I'm not surprised. So they're 0-4. The without Shaquan Barkley, this team has no hope. Uh, their quarterback, 
Uh, Daniel Jones is really struggling, and I know my roommate, you know, Jeremiah, he's a big-time Giants fan, but I told him, just take for Trevor Lawrence. Do it, man. Just take. You get the number one pick, and you pick him, and there you go. So that's my biggest surprise so far through the first month of the season. But, Dylan, what's your what's your biggest surprise so far? I mean, that that the only thing is with that, it's not necessarily surprising to me because Dallas chokes every year anyway. And the Philadelphia Eagles, with the Carson Wentz era there in Philadelphia, it started off on a really high note. But then after his injuries and everything that's going on there, it's just, he looks different compared to what he did before. And he, he just doesn't have the magic that he had before. That team looks night and day compared to the Super Bowl winning team they had just a few seasons ago. And it, it's very sad to watch. And also having Nick Foles there in Chicago, actually winning games for Chicago. Uh, I'm sure Philadelphia loves to see that, but you know, it's definitely a terrible, terrible situation in the NFC East. Um, I think we're going to see another team this year from the NFC East have a sub-500 record going into the playoffs, getting a playoff spot, and knocking out somebody else who probably deserves to be there more than them anyway. So that's just another reason why I think they need to look at, when it comes to seeding and when it comes to playoff contention, playoff berths, they need to look at that in the NFL because division-wise, it's just... Uh, it's just not not the best, not the most fair. And I, I know that we uh, have these systems in place, and they're not always the most fair. But that system there, it just does not seem fair to the other teams who are actually playing well and getting good records, being above 500, and getting a chance to potentially play in the playoffs, where it would be much better to watch for the NFL, um, getting revenue and things of that nature for fans. So I think they need to look at that. But that's probably, I mean, you know, the Titans' strong play so far has been – not necessarily surprising to me, but it's just been a relief because especially us having that huge run to the to the AFC Championship game last season, and then we come into the season, there were high expectations. People were talking, you know, bad about us, you know, saying, "Oh, they're not going to live up to those expectations anymore." Ryan Tannehill is going to come back to earth. Uh, Derrick Henry is not going to be able to run, you know, because we got rid of Jack Conklin, and you know, the lines not going to look that good and everything, and. But we've actually shown people that we can win games, even if it's not a pretty win, even if it's not a win like, you know, we're blowing the doors off of somebody, scoring 20, 20, 30, 40 points on somebody. We're still winning games. And our kicking situation looks good right now. Our corners need to do some work. But our offense is clicking on all cylinders, too. We're getting close to about 30 points a game as well. So the Titans are doing a great job. I'm just excited. They're living up to the hype this season, um, especially the hype of Titans fans and not letting us down so far. So hopefully that continues after this whole COVID-19 situation is behind us. Definitely, Dylan. Let me just ask you two quick topics before we move on to some college football. One, Dylan, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns? Of course, they had a rough start against the Ravens, but now they've won three straight games. They're playing the Colts tomorrow. Do you think this team has found their mojo? I think it has. I think that Odell Beckham Jr. needed to have some some time with Baker Mayfield to kind of get that connection. It took longer than expected. I mean, a season and, and a game, I think that's a long period to get accustomed to a quarterback. But I think that Odell Beckham Jr. is actually feeling comfortable in that situation now. And also Jarvis Landry's playing really well, too. So having both of those guys on the outside, I think that's helping Baker Mayfield a lot. 
and they actually are able to get separation on their defender. I think that's a huge a huge plus for them. But offensively, I mean, Cleveland looks really, really good. I know that we've talked about their defense for a few years now, but they can they can definitely make some noise this season. I, I, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, I could see them making the playoffs. I don't know how far they would go. I don't think they'd go far enough. But, I mean, this might be the year they actually make the playoffs in a very, very long time. So we'll see what happens here in Cleveland. I mean, I, I like it so far. I, I like the team, the team, the way they built it. Um, I definitely think that they have have their mojo now, though, for sure. And then, Dylan, lastly, your boy, Tom Brady. What happened to him on Thursday night? Apparently, he had a what I like to call a J.R. Smith moment where he thought you were up. In this case, Tom Brady thought, no, it's fourth, fourth down. What are you talking about? It's fourth down. Yeah, he still and thinks it's fourth down. This man's sure. time. Uh, the, tit- the Titans, excuse me. The Buccaneers ended up losing this game to the Bears. I know people were talking about, I saw a bunch of memes with Tom Brady holding the four, and he's like, how, how many wins the Bears have? <laughs> you know, so I saw a lot of that. And Bruce Arians, he said after the game, oh, no, Tom Brady, he knew how many downs we had. He knew. I told him. Uh, apparently not coach because he didn't know. And uh, he said that we lost the game due to poor coaching. So the Buccaneers, Dylan, as of right now, they're still leading the NFC South at 3-2. and two, But the Buccaneers, Dylan, it's, it's been a little rough for them. Do you think after the first month, it's still going to take some time for them to turn it around, or you think they're going to eventually figure it out? I think it's. I, I think they're going to figure it out. I think that Tom Brady, his age is showing at this point. So it's kind of like what Peyton Manning did when he went to Denver. He wasn't the quarterback he was before in in Indianapolis when he went to Denver, and they had to adjust to what he could do and not what he was expected to do. So Tom Brady can still make some throws. During that game the other night, he did airball some of them. He missed some wide receivers, um, and he was getting hit a lot in that game. So I think that, I mean, maybe they had to look at him in concussion protocol for that game because especially not knowing what down it was on that final drive, that is not something you see from Tom Brady. So either A, he had a concussion, or B, father time is catching up to him. And I think it's the latter in this situation. I think that it's just father time catching up to him. You know, I think that... It's going to, it's going to be okay this season. I think Tampa is going to be fine. I think that was just a lapse in that situation, but they're they're not as good as they're hyped up to be. And especially Leonard Fournette, what where's he been on this team? Like they signed him right before the season started, and he hasn't really been showing up on the field so much so far. No, we have not seen him. He had that one breakout game in week two, but he's been very quiet. I know I have in my fans team, I had benched him, and then I heard they cleared him at the last minute that he was going to play, but then he was a no-show. We didn't see him hardly at all. And uh, Leonard Fournette, I don't know if he's still trying to learn a system because he got there late, but uh, the the Buccaneers, they're going to have to do something because they've been struggling with injuries. Mike Evans been out. Of course, Chris Godwin, he's been out for two games. And uh, Leonard Fournette's been in and out of the lineup. And the Buccaneers, they're, they're going to have to figure out something to get some rhythm going for that offense. Because in the NFC South, Dylan, you still got Carolina. You still got the New Orleans Saints, who will eventually get on fire. 
and the Buccaneers can't afford to have too many slip-ups as we get almost halfway through the season. Yeah, true. Um, let's look at these real quick. Let's do a quick pick them real fast for the NFL. Starting with the first game, the Panthers and Falcons. Who you got? Definitely the Panthers. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think I'm going to go Panthers as well. Raiders and Chiefs. I'm going with the Chiefs. I think the Raiders will keep it close, but Patrick Mahomes, you can't bet a bet to Patrick Mahomes. He's going to find a way to pull through. Agree. I think Chiefs will win as well. Let's go to the Cardinals and the Jets. Ugh, it's going to be a tough one, but the Jets, though, they missed training yesterday because of the COVID-19 outbreak. So as of right now, the NFL still says this game will go on, but I don't have much confidence in the Jets anyways. The Cardinals, Kylo Murray, they'll win this game. I, I would want to say the Jets just because I want to see Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell and those players. I mean, the, the, the Jets organization needs to get away. Is he going to play? I thought he was hurt, and I thought Joe Flacco was going to start for the game. I think Joe Flacco is starting. I mean, I you know, I think a team win is a win for Darnold anyway <laughs> um, in this situation and because Sam Darnold has been put into a really bad spot in, in New Jersey. Um, or New York, I'm sorry. Um, but with the Jets, it's, it's just not a good situation for him. I mean, I, I would love the team to get a win just to, I don't know, make it look like Sam Darnold contributed somehow. Anyway, um, but no, the Cardinals are going to win that game. Uh, Eagles and Steelers. Well, you alluded to it earlier, but Carson Wentz has been inconsistent. And this Steelers team this is a very well defensive team. Ben Roethlisberger has been doing really well for the Steelers. And... They seem to have a, a good group, group win streak going. I'm going to pick the Steelers at home. I could see it being a potential upset with that situation, especially having the the week of rest that was unexpected for the Steelers because of the Titans situation. But I still think the Steelers are going to win. They're, they're more defensive and offensively sound as of right now, so I think that, that team's going to win. Uh, let's go to the Rams and the Washington football team. L.A. Rams will win because for Washington football team, like I mentioned, Hawkins is going to be on the bench. And Kyle Allen, I mean, who knows? He, he could maybe get a spark going for Washington. But the Rams just got too much talent. They're, they're going to win this game. The Rams uh, by a landslide. Um, Bengals and Ravens. This is going to be a tough one. It's going to be close. AFC North battles uh, for these two teams. Joe Burrow, I think, will keep the Bengals in it to the fourth quarter. But Lamar Jackson will pull away, and the Ravens win at home. Bengals will keep it close. I do agree with you there. I think Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow's been doing great this season so far. For what situation he's in, I think he's been doing really well. Um, I, a, a better than I thought he would be doing anyway at this point because of everything going on. But yeah, I'd, I'd say the Ravens are definitely going to win that game. Let's go to the Jaguars and the Texans. Probably the worst game of the weekend. You know, I'm going to go... Well, you may say that, but... I it might be the most interesting. It's an I mean, interesting game. It is an interesting but, game, yes. Uh, just because of the Texas situation with their coach being fired, they're fired up, ready to go. But, you know, I'm not going to bet against... Gardner Minshew, I think he's going to step up for the Jags, have a big game, and they'll beat the Texans. I think I'm going to go with the Texans simply because of the firing of Bill O'Brien, and that team wants to prove that they're better than what Bill O'Brien was trying to put on the field. So I think the Texans are going to win and get their first win of the season. Let's go to the Dolphins and the Niners. 
Well, Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be starting tomorrow. Dolphins will keep it close. They played a good game last week, but the 49ers will win. Yes, 49ers will win. I think Jimmy G will have a, a good game coming back and uh, be able to win against the Dolphins. Let's go to the Colts and the Browns, a battle of a 3-1 and team and a 3-1 and team. Yes, Dylan, this is going to be a very interesting game. Phillip Rivers going out on the road, taking on uh, Baker Mayfield. And I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to lean towards the, the Browns being the Colts at home just so the Titans get a little, just a little breathing room. I think the Titans will get a breathing room too. I think that the Browns will win. And especially, I think this week will be a good week to see how good the Colts actually are. To see if it's actually a fluke they've gotten to three and one, or if they're actually as good as they are being billed as the past few weeks. I think the Colts will definitely have a huge test for the Browns, but I think the Browns will definitely win this game. Let's go to the Giants and the Cowboys. <laughs> Man, uh, well, as bad as the Cowboys have been, I mean, come on, Cowboys. Uh, you you got to beat the Giants. If, if you guys cannot beat the Giants, then you might as well fire Mike McCarthy already, seriously, because I, I don't know what else this team can do, Dylan. Giving up over 150 points in three games. Dak Prescott, he's, he's trying to do everything, but he can't play defense. And if you can't stop the other team, then you deserve to lose. So I'm going to pick Giants. I'm sorry, just the Giants, the Cowboys, excuse Whoa. me. But uh, get the Cowboys the victory. But if they can't beat the Giants, the, the Cowboys are in big trouble. Yeah, if Cowboys can't beat the Giants, then I don't know what's going on in this world, and it's 2020. So Cowboys <laughs> will definitely win that game. Let's go to the Vikings and the Seahawks. Uh, the Vikings will keep it close. But Russell Wilson, he, he's just so good at home. Seahawks has played different when they're at home, even though they don't have fans there. They've been showing up, and the Seahawks, they're going to stay undefeated. They're going to go to 5-0. and Yes, especially on Sunday Night Football, Ryan, uh, Russell, West, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook, Russell the Wilson <laughs> is, is phenomenal on primetime. I think that the Seahawks will win against the Vikings handedly in that game on Sunday Night Football. Let's go to the Broncos and the Patriots. Wow, Monday Night Football game at 5 o'clock. Wow, yes, but... Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think the the Broncos, you know, they've been struggling with their quarterback play as of late. Uh, I know Locke's still out, and the Patriots. Well, I don't. I'm not sure if Cam Newton's going to play in this game. Um, as far as what I'm seeing, it looks like Cam Newton is expected to play on Monday. So I'm going to go with the Patriots being the Broncos on Monday. Yeah, I'll go with the Patriots too. Even though I, I am kind of weary especially with the Broncos' defense. I think the Broncos' defense will bring it um, this week, but I think the Patriots will still win that game um, narrowly. I think it's going to be a narrow game. Let's go to Chargers and Saints. This is going to be a shootout, Dylan. I really think so uh, because Justin Herbert, I don't know what he's doing <laughs> with the L.A. Chargers, but he's been keeping them on a roll. Uh, and the Saints, they'll be at home. Kamara... Thomas, you're going to get points for the Saints. I think the Saints will pull away, but it's going to be really close. I think Michael Thomas will have a resurgent game this one because he'll be back in this game, actually. So I think Thomas and Breeze will definitely have, I'd say, a couple touchdowns. I'd say at least two touchdowns in this game. So I say the Saints are going to win this game against Chargers, although the Chargers and Justin Herbert will keep it close. 
Now, last but not least, our game we're going to be watching, the Bills and the Titans. Ooh, man, I, I, I really – it's tough, Dylan. I really, but with all the players the Titans are missing with the COVID-19 protocol, I think it's really going to affect the, the, this team. And we I could – and the Bills, I mean, Josh Allen, he's been on fire. And he's got to be – our defense is the key. we got to slow him down. If we can't slow him, Josh Allen's going to tear us up. So I really think, Dylan, this could potentially be our first loss. But hopefully spur us to more wins after this one. Yes. Um, hopefully it's not our first loss. Hopefully our next man up mentality will kick in, which it has kicked in the past few uh, – the, the last season, too, it kicked in as well. Um I, I th- especially against the Saints last season when we didn't have Derrick Henry. This time, we actually have our full complement of offense, except for a few wide receivers. But I, I definitely think the Titans have a huge test this week against the Bills, who have been playing very, very well. Um, I, I think the Titans have a shot. It's just that it might, again, it might be their first loss of the season. So, fingers crossed it's not. But I'm probably leaning more towards Bills just because of how this whole situation has occurred for the Titans. So hopefully not again, fingers crossed. Hopefully they do win and prove me wrong, but we'll see how that goes. So let's move on to the NCAA with their football. Baylor university has suspended football activities due to COVID-19 concerns. And their next game is scheduled for October 17th against Oklahoma state. Yes. Dylan, the school made an announcement. Um, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, but they, we're saying as a precautionary measure, measure, Baylor Athletics has spent all football-related activities to allow further evaluation of recent positive tests and the completion of close contact tracing. That's basically been kind of the issue. They think that some of the players may have tested positive. So as a precaution, I mean, they're on a bye this week anyways. They didn't have a game scheduled, so they're going to play. I think this also has to do, Dylan, because their last game they played was at Kansas against Les Miles and the Kansas Jayhawks. And we all know Les Miles recently announced that he had tested positive for COVID. So this game for Kansas, he's coaching remotely. So that might have been the catalyst to why Baylor made his decision. We will see if they will play their next game, which is October 17th, as you mentioned, against Oklahoma State. That is Baylor's homecoming game. Now, Dylan, we got a lot of college football going on right now as we are recording the podcast. And... Dylan, uh, well, let's start with the big game, my Texas Longhorns. Uh, we were down pretty big, 14 nothing to Oklahoma. We tied the game 17-17, but Oklahoma just got a touchdown. So they're up right now 24-17 as we are midway through the third quarter. Uh, Sam Ellinger, he's, he's got to really step it up in this game, Dylan. We blew it against TCU last week, and I told you, Tom Herman, he's on the hot seat right now. It seems like every year... My friend told me this the other day. Oh, Texas, it's on a hot start. And you text me that tweet, but said, oh, we're back. And I was like, Dylan, this is too soon. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> and then look what happened. We lost to TCU. Yep. So, you know, Texas, I just feel like they do this all the time. And I said, we got to beat Oklahoma. We, we got to beat uh, the Baylors and, and, and the West Virginians of the world and the teams that could upset us like Iowa State or Oklahoma State. Texas, that's our only shot. And if we start slipping down this, the middle of the Big 12 standings, Tom Herman's going to be in the hot, is on the hot seat. He's not on the hot seat already. It's going to be even worse if we end up losing to Oklahoma, Dylan. So I don't know where the Longhorns are going to go from here because 
Texas keep thinking we got all this money, we got all the resources. Why are we so mediocre and we're losing to teams like TCU? Or we can't hang in there against Texas Tech and our defense is getting up over 50 points. You know, Texas has to improve, but, you know, it's not the, we're not the big show in town anymore. When you got teams like the Oklahomas, you got the Oklahoma States, TCUs, Texas Techs of the world, attractive offices with attractive uh, coaches that bring in uh, offensive schemes that these high school kids like. So it's going to be tough for, for Texas going forward if they don't turn around this game. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the other big game, the Florida Gators taking on Texas A&M. And the Florida Gators are up 20-24 right now. That's a big game for the Gators. Uh, Texas A&M is another program that's been kind of struggling. It's a little different, though, because they paid a lot of money, Dylan, to bring in Jimbo Fisher. Yes, they did. And they're not... And they're not seeing the results after what a year and a quarter, a month in so far. Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, that's definitely a, a, t- a tough situation there in Texas A and M. I mean, definitely thinking that that uh, that he was going to be the new Lord and Savior, I guess you could say, of the organization, and it hasn't phased out. It hasn't you know panned out that way yet. I think that it just takes time, especially. I mean, these past two years have been not his players, not the players he's recruited to be in that organization. So it is taking time with that with that organization. I think they will be contenders in the SEC moving forward, but it's just taking time there. And Jimbo Fisher's doing the best he can with the team he has, but um, I'm sure we'll probably see more and more players that have been implemented by him in the next year or two. So I think we'll probably see a different different side of Texas A&M football soon. But, I mean, he does keep games close. Like, in this game right now, he's he's only down by four points going into the fourth quarter. So, it's still a close game. But, again, I think it's going to take time there for Jimbo to get his system in place and his players in place as well. Uh, but another big game this, this afternoon is going to be t- uh, Tennessee and Georgia, which Tennessee is 2-0. Georgia is 2-0 as well. Uh, Georgia is ranked third. Tennessee is ranked 14th. And I would have said that last week's win against Missouri wasn't that impressive. Last week against Missouri, Tennessee won 35-12. But if you look at the scoreboard today, LSU is playing up against Missouri, and they're tied right now with about two minutes left in the third in the third quarter. So was it a big upset? I mean, was it a big upset last week that we only held them to 12 points and we won 35-12? Or is it just that LSU is that bad this year to where they're tied with Missouri right now. They're allowing Missouri to score 38 points on them, and they're struggling to keep a lead in this game. That's the biggest question to me. I, I think that Tennessee is playing very well defensively and offensively. I think that that's going to be a really, really close game today. People keep saying that Georgia's going to blow the lo- blow the doors off on us, but I, I, I still <clears throat> am under the impression it's probably going to be a close game. Dylan, if I, I'm not a Georgia fan, but... If I was, I would be extremely nervous right now because to me, Dylan, this could be a trap game. It could and be. And the reason I say that, because look at Georgia so far this season. Their first game against Arkansas, Dylan, they were losing to Arkansas. And this was like the first half. Yeah, they managed to came back and win that game 37-10 after a dollar second half. But I'm like, okay, Georgia, you're struggling against Arkansas. Then last week, they played Auburn. Auburn, very you know, a tight game early on, but they managed to pull away in the second half. So the key is, Dylan, can Tennessee 
pounce on Georgia early, hold on to that uh, defense to slow down Georgia's running game. And if Georgia can't get things clicking by the second half, it could be a dogfight, no pun intended, but it could be uh, a, a dogfight going down the wire that Tennessee, hey, even though they're ranked number 14, they could potentially upset the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think that's a, definitely a trap game for them. And it's a game that could easily go Tennessee's way. Tennessee just has to play smart and play a really, really good second half and a good first half, too. I mean, specifically, focus on second half for the defense and continue to keep your pedal to the metal and score offensive points. I mean, that's going to be the, definitely the recipe for success there against yeah, Dylan, Georgia. Just not, The only other reason I've said that, because Georgia plays Alabama next week. So I'm concerned they're looking ahead to, oh, we play Alabama next week. This is just a warm-up game. But you can't sleep on the Volunteers. No, not this time. No, you can't. Definitely not. And speaking of rankings... This week's top 25, uh, the top five teams ranked right now. Number one, Clemson. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Florida. And number five, Notre Dame. And number six, just as a consolation, is Ohio State, who has not played a single game yet. Not yet, but they will in a couple weeks. Just putting that out there. <laughs> interesting stuff. So that that's interesting there for college football. Um, I think it's definitely going to be huge huge game especially tonight too we have Miami taking on Clemson which we'll see number one playing up against Miami the U always loves these these primetime games not sure how much of a shot they have up against Clemson but they love playing in primetime and they do put on a show for primetime so we'll see if Miami can give Clemson a little bit of a, a little bit of trouble on the field tonight and so we have Alabama playing Ole Miss tonight as well Nick Saban versus one of his old assistants which is going to be a huge game, especially a game that I'm sure a lot of Tennessee fans will be watching because of Lane Kiffin. And then last but not least, we have Florida State playing Notre Dame tonight. So of those three games, JT, which game do you see being an upset alert, if any? Ugh. Well, between those three games, the only logical explanation I can think of, would, you know, Miami against Clemson. I think Miami, like you mentioned, they've been showing up in primetime games. Last year, it didn't work out for them. This year, it's working out for them so far. Louisville, they won, of course, uh, Florida State, but Florida State's not looking good you know, after a couple games. And that's, Florida State's only scored like 60-something points in three games, and they lost uh, two games so far this season. And Miami, I think you, they, they got that swagger back. I think they're going to take it to Clemson and – Try to slow Trevor Lawrence down. It will not be easy. I think Trevor Lawrence will find a way to probably get this team to win because this is a national championship team that's won championships in the past. And I think Miami will keep it close. I really do. They have, the to me, the best shot of an upset, though, because Alabama, look, Nick Saban, he's never lost a game, Dylan, against his former assistants. He's beaten every one of them. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, uh, last time we saw them, they played the Florida Gators, and I mean they hung in there, but Florida, you know, blew them out the water. And Alabama, after their game against Missouri, I think Alabama Dillon is gonna not, you know, take it easy on Lane Kiffin. I think they're gonna go all out in that game. Florida State, like I mentioned, they've been a really struggle. Notre Dame's been really good this season, and they have a, a shot, Dylan, to, to crash this playoff party. Uh, I think Notre Dame, if they keep 
training this direction, doing well, they'll beat Florida. They'll definitely gonna beat Florida State and win. But of all the upsets, I think Miami has the best chance. But just give a, a, a quick wrap on uh, college football, just to give you a quick uh, score updates. Uh, Texas A&M right now is being the Florida Gators, thirty-one to twenty-eight, as they start the fourth quarter. Uh, my Longhorns, we are down now, thirty-one to seventeen. As the third quarter is ending, not looking good for my boys. And LSU is up 41 to 38 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, and Virginia Tech, they're missing 15 players due to the COVID out team, COVID 19 outbreak. Uh, but they're hanging in there against North Carolina. North Carolina was up big, 31 to like 10. But now North Carolina is up 42 31 as they're about to enter their fourth quarter. But Dylan, anything you want to add before we close out the segment? No, I, th- I think that I-, I would keep an eye out, though, tonight on Ole Miss and Alabama, simply because Lane Kiffin, when he was at Tennessee, when Alabama beat Tennessee narrowly when Lane Kiffin was there, they met at center field, shook hands. Lane Kiffin said, congratulations, you will never do this to one of my teams again. So I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that means that he's going to win tonight. I don't I think, think that's going to happen. Tonight. Maybe but, next year or the year after, but I don't see it tonight. <laughs> I think it'll still be an interesting game to watch against Ole Miss. I think you need definitely need to keep your eyes on that game. Um, I, I don't think for it's going to sure. be. I don't think it's going to be a win for Ole Miss by any mean. But I think that it'll be interesting to watch. So definitely keep your eye on that game. But I do agree with you, Miami and Clemson. That might be um, a bit of a game that could be going on upset alert. But just keep your eye on it. So let's move into NBA. The Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. Unsurprising to anyone were the teams to make it to the NBA final. And uh, the Lakers now are up 3-2. to two. They had game five last night, and Miami Heat actually came out with that that game at, in, on a last-ditch effort, essentially, at the very end of the game, where LeBron James drove into the paint, flipped around, passed the ball to Danny Green. He had a wide-open opportunity for a three and misses it. Yeah, Dylan, the, the the Lakers, they they had it. They had this game. They were wearing the Black Mamba jerseys, honoring Kobe Bryant. We all know in the postseason, the Lakers are 4-0 when they wore those jerseys. Everyone thought they were going to get it done. But Jimmy Butler had other ideas. And what really impressed me in this game last night about Jimmy Butler, he was doing everything, defense, offense. And as the game went down the stretch, Dylan, Jimmy Butler made clutch, clutch free throws to keep the Heat in this game. I mean, LeBron James did his part. He he showed up, had 40 points. Anthony Davis, people were speculating with Anthony Davis. He could be hurt. I don't know what's going on with him. He didn't look like himself in this game last night. And Jimmy Butler stepped up. 35 points, as I mentioned, clutch free throws. But to keep the heat in it. But despite that, as you mentioned, LeBron James, he had an opportunity to shoot the ball, pass Danny Green. Danny Green, as you mentioned, wide open, missed it, uh, and he couldn't get anything going. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he had another opportunity just before that to steal the game, couldn't get the shot, even though he had 16 points in that game. And that's basically what happened, Dylan. The, the Lakers bench just didn't show up. Every, the star players did, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Contavious Caldwell Pope, but nobody else. Dwight Howard, two points. Danny Green, eight points. Alex Caruso, three points. 
Kyle Kuzma, seven points. Rajon Rondo, four points. The bench didn't show up, and the Heat bench did. That was the difference in this game. And the Heat, hey, I said, they live to die another day. Now, could they uh, beat the uh, the Lakers tomorrow? It's possible, but I, I think, Dylan, the Lakers aren't going to let this opportunity. This is their best shot. Close it out. And I think they'll find a way to close it out tomorrow. After similar what happened, they, they blew it in game three. They bounced back, won game four. I expect that result tomorrow. But if they keep, Dylan, if they keep winning to stay alive and they bring Dragic back for either game six or game seven, if game seven happens to be on Tuesday, the Lakers are in trouble. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that definitely if they win game six tomorrow, if the Heat win game six, then the Lakers, I think their chances almost evaporate to win the final this year uh, because it's the Heat are just on such a momentum tear right now, especially if you get Dragic back. Um, the big thing to me, though, is Jimmy Butler last night after the game, he was getting up off of the out, of the out of the press conference room, and he could barely walk. I mean, he had put a lot of time into this game. I think he had somewhere around 45 minutes on the court last night, which is absolutely insane. Those are only numbers yeah, you usually he, see with, like, LeBron James. And yeah, he played 47 minutes in that game. Last night. Just incredible. Uh, I think that he had a great performance last night. We'll see if he can duplicate that performance because he's going to be tired. He's tired today, I'm sure. But only having a day's rest in between a game like that and a game like Game 6 is going to be, that's not a lot of time to rest up. And I don't know if he'll be able to have enough in the tank to actually get it done tomorrow. But again, I mean, if Jogic does come back, that's going to be something that will definitely cause a spark for that team in the Miami Heat. And I think they'll have a really good shot of potentially making it to a Game 7. So we'll see how that goes. But let's go over to the MLB. They are in playoff mode right now. They just got done with the NLDS. Now they're going to the NLCS. Let's recap the NLDS first. The Tampa Bay Rays last night defeated the New York Yankees 2-1 to in a very, very tough game for the Yankees and the Rays as well. It was a very close game up until the very end. Rays got a homer and made it 2-1, and the Yankees could not come back. They they couldn't answer in the ninth inning um, to move on into the NLCS. And on the other side, the Dodgers and the Padres played, and the Dodgers swept the Padres, winning 12-3 in their last game, moving on to NLCS. They would be playing... The Atlanta Braves, who swept the Miami Marlins with a 7-0 win to win that series. And then the Houston Astros defeated the Oakland A's 11-6 to win the series. So now you have the ALCS, the Rays versus the Astros, and you have the NLCS, the Braves versus the Dodgers. In those two series, JT, who do you see coming out on top in each series? (laughs) Well, I think after a year... With everything going on, I know a lot of MLB fans will feel like justice if the Astros don't make it. <laughs> they have the, the Tampa Bay Rays. But look, I, I think the Tampa Bay Rays, to me, is a legit contender to possibly win, to, to win the World Series. And the reason I say that because you have the, the pitching. You've got a solid bullpen. 
you have the, the hitting with Bursau and the offense for the Rays. And, you know, Austin Meadows helping the team out as well. I think the Rays, Dylan, are, are really good. Now, you can't discount the Astros. You know, Correa, the, the team they got there, it's a really solid squad for the Astros. So they're definitely going to give the Rays a run for their money. But, hey, they're the AL East champs. They won the most one of the top teams in, in baseball this year. And I think the Rays are going to find a way to, to do it, Dylan. I think they will win the uh, American League pennant and clinch spot in the World Series. And the Astros, who apparently are the villains <laughs> for a lot of people, if they make it, man, it's going to be a media circus in the World Series if the Astros make it. Especially because the first thing people are going to ask, are the Astros a better team despite the whole cheating now, despite the whole cheating scandal, everything that happened to them last year? I mean, they're a good team. I, I, I don't think that anybody can disagree with that. They are a good team. I think the whole cheating scandal, I mean, if they do go on to play in the World Series and win the World Series, it'll show other play, it'll show other people that they were good enough to win the World Series before anyway, so why were they cheating in the first place? That's my interpretation of it all. But, I mean, the Astros are a good team. They have a good roster. They have a good bullpen. They have good hitters. I mean, I think all around that's a good team. I think the Rays, though, will probably win against the Astros in this series just because the Rays have been playing very very well. This is their first chance to actually make it to the World Series in quite some time. And they've been playing I mean, this isn't the first year they've been playing well. They've been playing well for the past few seasons. It's just yeah, despite they, being on a low budget and having nobody show up, their, well, a few, you know, show up at their games and out in the trop. True. But hey, the, the Rays have been consistent. And the fact that they beat the Yankees, I mean, everybody knows, Dylan, the Yankees and the Rays, that's a rivalry, man. Those teams hate each other. Yeah, they do. But the the fact that the Yankees get all this money and they can buy anybody they want, and the Rays are doing it through their farm system, draft pick, pick scouting, getting key players at the right moments to bring in their organization to help them be competitive, it's a great story. I still find it funny, Dylan, if the Astros – what if the Astros and the Dodgers make the World Series? Oh my gosh, man. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah, it would be hilarious. Um, it would not be good. I'm sure that it would be good TV for MLB. I'm sure that the commissioner is wanting that. Yeah, it would be good TV. <laughs> I'm sure the commissioner wants that to happen. Um, but I actually see it the other way around. I think the Rays and Braves are going to the World Series. I the Rays Braves, and the Braves. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the Braves, just overall, that team has been on a tear this season and they've always, they've been getting close and they always just at the very end, like last year against the Cardinals in the playoffs, that game they had where they just gave up like what, six, seven runs in the first, first or second inning or something. Um, you know, something like that happening is just awful for an organization. So it's kind of like, you know, Tampa Bay, playing last year against the Blue Jackets and then losing in the first round, but then coming back the next year and then winning the Cup. I, I see that same kind of thing happening with the Braves. And, I mean, everything is going right for the Braves right now. They're pitching. Um, they're hitting. They're, you know, they have Freddie Freeman, who is arguably the MVP of the season this year so far. Um, you have uh, just, just some great players on the Braves. I, I think that... 
Ronald Acuna, I mean, you know, you, you just can't go wrong with the players they have on the Braves, and, and you can't you can't uh, cheer against them, really, unless you're a fan of, of the Dodgers or the Rays or the Astros. So, you know, I, I think the Braves are definitely going to have a really, really good chance of making it to the World Series and, and winning it, um, especially if it's against the Rays. But we'll just have to see. I mean, baseball, it's, it's always, you know, any, any given game, can, you know, something can happen. We kind of saw it last year with the Braves. So hopefully the Braves can pull it out against the Dodgers and win against one of the richest, richest teams out there. Um, kind of like the Yankees, like the Rays did the Yankees just now. So we'll just have to see how that happens, how that works out. Yeah, Dylan, the what's interesting with that series to me is both teams, the Rays and the Dodgers, are, are, are undefeated. They both have not lost a game. So obviously that would change in this series. But I think the, Ra- the Rays, the Braves, excuse me, are going to go toe-to-toe with uh, the Dodgers with pitching, bullpen, their, their, their batting lineup. These two teams are evenly matched, so it could go either way. Yeah, I agree. So let's move on to the NHL. The NHL draft was this past week. Alex Lafreniere was the player that went number one overall, like we all suspected he would, um, going to the New York Rangers. So instead of talking about all the picks that went through, let's talk about our team specifically and talk about the picks that they made. So let's go with the Capitals first. And JT, I'll uh, let you have that one first. Yeah, Dylan, the, the, the Capitals made some interesting picks. Uh, we had the 22nd, or actually, sorry, the 24th pick. We traded up with the Calgary Flames to get the 22nd pick, and we drafted Hendricks Lapierre. He was our top pick. I think Lapierre, from everything I heard about him, he has a great IQ level. Uh, the GM, Brian McLennan, said, you know, he's worth the gamble, and Trading up for him, he's going to be potentially. It's going to take him, I think, a few seasons to develop in our system, but he could be a breakthrough star for the Capitals going forward. Uh, we didn't have another pick till the fourth round. Uh, 117th pick, we picked uh, Bogdan Triniev. Uh, we picked him up in the fourth round. Six foot three, 198 pounds. You know, big kid. Uh, he did really well in the MHL, had 12 goals, 14 assists, and 36 games. And to me, as a fourth-round pick, he's going to probably be in the AHL and Hershey for a while. But again, another player that could break through in a system. And then our last couple picks were late-round picks. But both, um, Barry Hughes, fifth-round pick, uh, played in the WHL. And then we also picked up... Uh, Karen Borkland, another WHL player. And, you know, he's a guy did really well as a goaltender in that league. And, again, Capitals were, do a really good job of stocking up goalies for future, you know, assets, future picks that we can get down the road. And, look, Samsonov, he's been in an organization for a while, but he climbed up. Maybe this guy, Goran Borkland, could do something similar. Uh, depending on what happens. And then, of course, our last pick, Oscar Magnuson, uh, coming in from the Swedish Elite League, um, played junior hockey over there, 22 goals, 26 assists. Young prospect, uh, not much I would expect from him. But I think the Capitals, you know, play it safe. You know, 
We don't have a lot of cap money right now to spend on, you know, on young players. But these are players that's just to add depth in the farm system. And just in case we get any major injuries in the upcoming season, whenever that is, maybe one of these players down the road could step up down the line. Yeah, um, that's a, those sound like some pretty good picks for the Caps. So let's go over to the Nashville side of things. Nashville had a few picks in this draft. Number one pick was the 11th overall, and we decided to go with goaltender Yaroslav Askarov from Russia. And he has probably been one of the highest-rated goaltending prospects in quite some time. I heard some comparisons to Carey Price, to um, uh, Tarasin, I'm sorry, um, Vasilevsky, I'm sorry, Vasilevsky from Tampa Bay. I heard some comparisons there as well. Um, 18-year-old kid. He's playing in the KHL right now. He's been playing pretty well in the KHL too. Um, I believe he had a, a like a 12-2-2 record um, the past 16 games he's played in the KHL, which is crazy. Um, but he'll be ready for the NHL in about two seasons. So that's a, definitely a great player that we picked up. Definitely good since we have Pecorino in that right now. But once he retires, we'll have UC Soros, potentially Connor Ingram as well from the AHL. But having Yaroslav Askarov shores up our goaltending for quite some time. He'll be the future in Nashville. So it's good to have a goaltending prospect like that. So these other picks, though, we did pick three forwards and three defensemen. It was pretty much the draft of the Lukes. We got Luke Evangelista, Luke Prokop, and Luke Reed were three players that we received. Um, the first the first Luke Evangelista was a forward. Uh, Prokop and Reed are both defenders. Then we got Adam Willsby. He's a defender as well. And last but not least, we had Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, which is probably the coolest name I've seen for a draft prospect before. He's one of our forwards now. And Chase McLean was our last pick of the of the draft, and he's a forward as well. So several key pieces there, um, especially on our goaltending side of things. I think Evangelista will pretty will be pretty good offensively. He's in the London system right now, so he is. Uh, there have been several players coming out of the London system too that have actually been pretty good NHL players. So we'll have to see how his how his return is and how his development turns out in London. But overall, I think we did a good job with our picks. I think we definitely stocked up the cupboard a little bit more with our draft picks, especially with defenders, um, and also had a few more young forwards, especially since we're going to be bringing young forwards up to the team for the season next season. So. It's definitely a good thing for the Preds and uh, definitely a good draft overall. So let's talk about free agency because free agency opened up yesterday and there were some moves going on at, you know, at the very beginning. Um, Tory Krug went over to St. Louis. We had Craig Smith. He actually today signed with the Boston Bruins and we've had some other big moves like that. But we also have had some really big goaltender moves because we talked about it on my other show, Puck Off on JDF Sports. We talked about how deep the goaltending free agency market was this year. And it definitely goes to show how many goaltenders got picked up in the first day. So we have Henrik Lundqvist went to Washington with your Capitals. That's, I'm sure, a very, very good move. A good piece to replace Braden Holtby in the Capitals organization. Holtby, otherwise, on the other hand, actually went to Vancouver with the Vancouver Canucks. A very young offense there. Corey Crawford, um, for some reason, the Blackhawks decided not to re-sign Corey Crawford. So he got let go and went to the New Jersey Devils. And then Mark uh, Markstrom actually went over to the Flames, and he'll be a Calgary Flame now. 
So huge pickups from these teams, huge moves for the goaltenders. It was a very, again, a very, very deep class of goaltenders. I'm sure there, there are a few more goaltenders out there. Hugh Dobin re-signed with Dallas, so he's going to be staying in Dallas for a few more seasons. I believe, I believe it was a three-year deal uh, for Hugh Dobin. But I'm sure there are several others, too. Marc-Andre Fleury is another name we've been listening to as well. And it looks like there might be a trade potentially happening, especially if the Vegas Golden Knights decide to go after Angelo from St. Louis, who is a UFA right now. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole situation, JT? With Marc-Andre Fleury or Petrangelo going to Vegas? Both. Both. Because I mean, they'd be kind of they'd be coinciding moves to make that happen in the first place because they'd have to move Marc-Andre Fleury to create enough cap space to bring in Petrangelo in the first place. Gotcha. So I, I will obviously I think if Petrangelo is able to get to Las Vegas, it's a good pickup for them. Uh, Petrangelo is definitely going to help Vegas on the wing because that's where they kind of struggled as they were going down stretch against Dallas in the playoffs. Uh, for Mark Andre Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury, well, it's been no secret he's been, you know, he was injured and had to back up Robin Lehner. Robin Lehner uh, did really well for the Vegas Golden Knights down stretch and getting in the playoffs, and I think he's going to be the man going forward. And for Mark Andre Fleury, well, I heard rumors that. Once Pittsburgh Penguins made a decision to trade Matt Murray to the Ottawa Senators, and they tried to they uh, resigned uh, Justin Yari to a, a longer contract. There were rumors that they would try to talk to Las Vegas to see if they were bringing him back. But if that falls through, I mean St. Louis, hey, you got a, a Stanley Cup winning goalie. Uh, I know St. Louis kind of dropped the ball or dropped the puck in this case. Uh, this past season after winning the Stanley Cup the season before. And maybe I think this, if they able to make it work, I mean, yes, I understand what St. Louis is giving up, but St. Louis is in it to try to win now. And if Mark andre Fleury is that difference, that missing piece, that can certainly help. But let me just share just a quick uh, uh, recap of what you just went through with the, all these goalies moving. So with the Capitals bringing King Henry, King Henrik Lundqvist, from the New York Rangers. I'm not surprised. As I mentioned, he's going to team up with Elias Samsonov, be a mentor to him, and he's going to help compete with him. Uh, for King uh, Henrik Lundqvist, I think for him, Dylan, considering he's never won the Stanley Cup, this is an opportunity for him to try to get a cup on his resume. He came close with the Rangers, what, six years ago when they were in the Stanley Cup and they lost to the Kings? And uh, this is probably his last shot to try to make a run. You know, Pierre Lavalette making the uh, options for him. I think that's the reason why he made that move. Brayden Holpe going to Vancouver. I think that's a good move for Vancouver. For Brayden Holpe, hey, he helped us win a cup. He's been with us for a decade. I know it's tough seeing him go. But for Brayden Holpe, hey, he's going with a good team. Vancouver's a really good team. They gave Vegas a, a run for their money. This is a team that's not going anywhere. That team is going to be competitive for years. I know letting Jacob Markstrom is tough. And you got... um Ah oh, dang! Who, who's the backup? Who was the key, the goalie that was giving Vancouver uh, crazy? What was the name? Uh, Dimco. Dimco, yes. Thatcher Dimco. So, yeah. So that's going to be a a good pairing for him as well to compete with. But hey, it's especially because we don't know how many games NHL will play. I've heard they're looking at maybe playing sixty games for this upcoming season, uh, depending on what happens with the whole COVID nineteen situation. 
So that could be, we could see a lot of goalies split time between the starter and the backup to keep the teams afloat throughout the season. Uh, Crawford getting let go. Uh, he was bought out from his contract. That definitely did surprise me. But hey, it's a good pickup for the Devils because Corey Schneider, he's still out there. We don't know what's happening with his situation, but the Devils, hey, they're trying to compete uh, in, in that race in the Metropolitan Division. So I think it's a good move. And then Marshall going to Calgary, hey, they pay big money. That's a big risk. But Markstrom, I think that one could pay, pay, pay off. So those are just some of my thoughts, Dylan, on NHL free agency so far. Um, but is there anything else you want to add? I'm not sure we'll probably see some more contracts coming through as well because, I mean, you know, with this year, we're, we're gearing up for the expansion draft next season. I'm sure we'll see a lot of one-year, two-year deals. The one-year deals being for the players who organizations want to keep for a year to see what they can do, you know, kind of get them probably in free agency next season and sign them to a long-term contract or signing them to a two-year deal to where they can expose them to the expansion draft to potentially and try to keep the players they currently have in-house. So I'm, I'm sure we'll see some more movement. I'm sure we'll see some good deals coming through. And hopefully... Yes, that's... Uh, just sorry to interrupt. I was no, going to add, yes, that's a rumor I heard about that could happen with Braden Holpe. If Demko, you know, tears it up for the Canucks this season, Braden Holpe, it would be eligible to go to the expansion draft in Seattle. The Seattle Kraken could pick him uh, in the draft uh, next year. So how crazy would that be? I mean, uh, Seattle Kraken, it looks like that team for the expansion draft could have uh, many options to try to build a team out. But that will be next year. Yeah, definitely be next year. I think they'll definitely have some options for players out there. But NHL free agency this year will probably be the craziest it's ever been. And I, I can't wait to see some of the other big names coming off the board soon. Taylor Hall's still out there. Um, players like that, I think we'll definitely see some more more solid deals coming out there soon. So let's move on to JT's favorite segment of the week. It's the football recap of the week. JT, the microphone's all yours. Thanks, Dylan. As always, out of balance, we hear the recap delays from the beautiful game. And let's start with the hottest team in Central Florida. And no, I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about... Orlando City Soccer Team. This team is currently on a 10-game unbeaten streak. Uh, we got a draw against Atlanta United in our last game. But Orlando City, they're currently in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. And Dylan, we have seven games left. But all we have to do is get eight points. Okay, that's like that's like two wins and like a couple draws. If we do that, Dylan, in the next seven games, Orlando City, for the first time in MLS era, will be in the playoffs. Wow. And I never thought this would ever happen after choking so many games last year and the year before that and the year before that. But it looks like, Dylan, Oscar Perea has really changed his team. Nani's made a difference. Chris Mueller's made a big difference. He keeps rotating the squad, doing a good job for this Orlando City team to keep him fresh. And, hey, we're on a 10-game unbeaten streak. Not bad after our run in the MLS's back tournament. Orlando City, their next game will be tomorrow on Sunday at 7.30 p.m. We will host the Columbus Crew. That's a big game because the crew are ahead of us in the standings. So if we beat them, that will help us. Not only just to stay atop in the Eastern Conference, but also uh, we're in the race for the Supporters Shield. So that's great as well. And Dylan, your favorite soccer team, National SC, they're in the Eastern Conference as well. And they're also clinging to that final playoff spot. So even though Nashville has been kind of up and down the waters, they're hanging in there. 
and they could, in their first year in MLS, make the playoffs as well. So you could have Orlando make it for the first time to five years, and your soccer team, Nashville, make it in their first season. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> now let's go over to Europe. Uh, Ansu Fatsi, he was named Player of the Month in La Liga for September after getting three goals and assists for FC Barcelona. FC Barcelona off to a, a good start so far in La Liga. But, of course, we all know it's going to come down between either them or Real Madrid. Now, in Brazil, we have the World Cup qualifier finally start in South America as teams prepare to qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Now, Neymar didn't score any goals, but he made a dazzle performance in helping his team get a 5 nothing win against Bolivia in their opener in the Commonwealth World Cup qualifiers. Brazil will play Peru on the road in Lima on Tuesday. Now, the U.S. women's national team, we had a few players go overseas to go out on loan. So we had two stars, uh, Christian Press and Tobin Heath. They signed with Manchester United for this upcoming Women's Super League season in England, and they played today, made their debuts. The team won one nothing with a goal from Millie Turner against Tottenham Hotspur. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, Alice Morgan did sign with Tottenham Hotspur for the women's team, but she did not play in this game today. And for the Manchester United women's team, they are leading the Women's Super League in England with 10 points. And, of course, today, Dylan, we have the UEFA Nations League finally some international soccer after months being postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And in the UEFA Nation League, the big game today is Spain against Switzerland. So that is the big game today. And then tomorrow, Dylan, we have England taking on Belgium. And then at 2.45 tomorrow, we will have a rematch of the Euro 2026. 2026. Whoops, <laughs> way ahead of myself. Euro <laughs> 2016 final rematch between France and and Portugal, they will play each other tomorrow at 2.45 p.m. And you can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. That will be a big game. And that's what's going on in Europe. But that will conclude my football recap of the week. Let's head over to winners and losers. JC, I'll start this week. I'll start with my first winner is the Atlanta Braves. The Braves making it to the ALCS for the first time since 2001, since the days of Chipper Jones and... And Glavin and all those guys, it's it's fantastic to see these guys actually make it to the ALCS finally after uh, knocking on the door several times the past few seasons. We finally got there, and especially on the back of potential MVP, uh, which in my opinion is the MVP of the season, Freddie Freeman. So hopefully we'll be able to make some noise against the Dodgers. And then my loser this week is the NFL front office for trying to blame the Titans for everything that happened during this COVID-19 situation Hopefully they find out that it was actually not necessarily Titans' fault that this whole thing happened. I think some of the protocols the NFL has in place, they just were not ready for this kind of situation to happen. They were just going business as usual, and it just turned out to be uh, the perfect storm of of COVID-19 and everything coming with the Tennessee Titans. So the NFL front office is definitely my loser for this week. So JT, who are your winners and losers, sir? Dillamite winner this week is going to be the return of the XFL. 
3.0 version this time. <laughs> because uh, this was announced last week, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, in case you haven't heard, he now owns the league now, along with Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital. So they announced on social media, uh, released a video saying that the league will return in 2022. There was a possibility the league could return next year, but they're, Dwayne The Rock Johnson said, we don't want to rush things. We're trying to get everything online. We just bought this league, and we're trying to get everything all organized. So the league is having a refresh or redo. Um, everything's going on, and that's great. Great, we're going to have another alternative football compared to the NFL. They're still going to do the spring season, and they're working out TV deals. I don't know if ESPN is going to broadcast in 2022, but I know Fox is definitely looking into it. Uh, as far as the teams go, not sure if all the teams that played this year will be back by 2022. It is possible some teams could get moved around here and there. Um, I know Orlando is definitely at least a possibility where right? that's a team that's going to be relocated or an expansion team. Orlando is definitely uh, a possibility for an XFL team at some point. But the XFL, hey, it's good for them that they're back. That's my winner this week. My loser this week is going to be NFL Network inside reporter Ian Rappaport. Now, normally I want to have a like a inside reporter as a loser under any means, unless it gets something really crazy. So hear me out, guys, on this story, okay? So yesterday, Ian Rappaport posted on Twitter that he's been suspended for the NFL Network for two weeks. I'm like, okay, Ian Rappaport, I know you got over a million followers. You must have done something really crazy to get yourself suspended. For two weeks. Now, originally, they were saying that he posted something on social media that the league did not approve, and that's why he was suspended. But when I'm looking on the timeline, I'm like, I don't see what what did he post that could have gotten possibly suspended. But then somebody else on Twitter confirmed and said, oh, no, Ian Rappaport had apparently posted an ad on his social media pages about Manscaped and that was apparently not approved by the league, and that's why he got suspended. So I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. This guy's doing an ad. I don't think they sponsor him or anything. I don't, I don't know. But uh, he's doing a posting ad about uh, Manscaped, uh, guys, for guys keeping their stuff groomed down there and everything. And now he's going to get himself suspended. I'm like, really? Really for a Manscaped ad? I mean, it must have been really bad for him to get suspended so Ian Rapport, he is my loser this week wonderful now let's move to final thoughts <laughs> JT I'll start with you uh, yeah I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to get over that but we'll try to uh, move on sorry kids uh, <laughs> so my uh, final thought is going to be just a shout out to the uh, WNBA for everything they've they've stood they stood for with everything that's going on with uh with our country and allowing their players to speak their mind with everything going on in the Black Lives Matter movement and all that and that's awesome and the WNBA has been a, a real pioneer uh for that so I just want to give them a shout out for that but let's talk about their team the Seattle Storm winning the fourth their fourth WNBA championship Dylan the Seattle Storm. Really went on a great run. Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, of course, are top players. And the team went 18-4 this season, and they swept the Las Vegas Aces 
That was a team that made it to the final to win the championship. This is their second title, Dylan, in three years. Uh, cause they won it in 2018. Not only that, Dylan, this is the third time now that the four times they've won it where they swept an opponent. They did it in 2010. They did it in 2018. And now again in 2020. And they've won four championships. And what's really impressed me with Seattle is, of course, in 2004, they won it back in the Lauren Jackson era. And Sue Bird was definitely part of that with their runs of 2004 and 2010. And now Brianna Stewart's been kind of the leading force for this team the last two years, or a few years, 2018, and winning in 2020. And this team has been essentially a, a dynasty in this modern era. Now, I know the WNBA, in the early days, they had the Houston Comets, and then the most recent team, the Minnesota Lynch of 2011, the 2017 winning a few titles. But Seattle, Dylan, has been one of those teams that's been very consistent. And for Sue Bird, hey, you go out on top, winning a championship just before your 40th birthday in October 16th. So happy early birthday, Sue Bird, but congratulations and everything. Seattle Storm, congrats on winning that championship. But that's my final thought. Dylan, what are your final thoughts? Well, congratulations to them, and also congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We didn't really talk about it during the show this week, but they won the Stanley Cup championship this year. So congratulations to them in the bubble. Uh, that was a huge win by them. I mean, I, I had predicted it in the first place. If you look at my NHL bracket, you can tell that I did pick the Tampa Bay Lightning this season. But it was di- against a different opponent, against the Dallas Stars instead. Um, kudos to them for reaching the Stanley Cup final. That was a huge, huge performance by Hudobin. That's the reason why he got that three-year contract. So congratulations to them as well. But my final thought is going out to the Predators. When it comes to scoring depth on the team. Now, free agency just started last uh, yesterday. And with this, we actually have some cap space this season. Especially letting go of Mikhail Granlin. Letting go of Craig Smith. Letting go of Yannick Weber. Letting go of uh, Corbinian Holzer as well. So, we had some cap space. We had about $17 million in cap space. We signed a few players. But now we have about $13 million in cap space. I'm not necessarily saying spend all that money on this one player, but I'm saying you should make a pitch to this specific player and offer him a pretty good amount because I think that it'd be beneficial for, for, for both parties. The player I'm speaking about is Taylor Hall. Now, Taylor Hall is a player that is on everybody's mind right now. This is going to be a player that is going to be looking anywhere and everywhere to find a contract this season. He has talked about getting a short-term and or a smaller contract in terms of monetary value to play for someone this season and then hopefully get more money in free agency next year. So this is the perfect situation for the Predators to capitalize on. We're looking for scoring depth, having that secondary line anchored by Matt Duchesne at center, and then having the right wing being Taylor Hall and the left wing potentially being Ellie Tolvanen. I think that would be a killer second line in the NHL. I think it'd be one of the best second lines in the NHL. And I'm sure Duchesne and Hall would love to play with each other. And also, you have you can't discount the connection that Taylor Hall and John Hines has because of his MVP winning season was under John Hall. John Hines, I'm sorry. Um, I was combining their two, two names. John Hines. So... At the end of the day, say, I was about to say John Hall coaching the press now. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, the Nashville Predators should truly consider this strongly about signing Taylor Hall. 
We've done the things we need to do. We've signed depth defensemen. We signed another forward as well, and Nick Cousins coming in from Vegas. So that's going to be another def- another right winger that we can have in the system. But I think that having Taylor Hall on this team would put us over the edge. I think it would continue. It would contribute to our scoring prowess we have with our first line with Victor Arvidsson, with Forsberg, and with Johansson. So I think that Taylor Hall would be the perfect fit in Nashville, especially for next season. Go out there, get him David Poyle, and let's try to win a cup next season. That would be fantastic for the National Predators organization and also the fans as well. So that's my final thought. Thanks for listening this week. You can find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, everywhere. You can find a podcast. We are there. You can subscribe to us. Leave us a comment and leave us a review as well. We'd love to get those. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. It's at OOB Podcast. My social media handle for Instagram is Dylan Dylan James underscore FL. And Twitter is Dylan underscore James. JT, what are your social media handles, sir? You guys can follow me on Twitter at JTSocka88. That's at JTSOCKA88. You can also follow me on Instagram. Instagram is at JTSockaSports. And you can also follow me and reach out to me on my sports blog. It's www.jtthesportsguy.com. And like I said, if you like the show, please hit the subscribe button, share us with your friends, and also leave us a review. We'd love to get those. and We'll actually read them on the air as well once we receive them. So thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey.